truly one of the most beautiful things that God has done over the years here at Orangewood is to put us into partnership with Armonia Ministries, Saul and Pilar Cruz there in Mexico. We've been in partnership with them for about 25 years, and it has been something that has been amazing for us to see how God has used this ministry um, in touching the lives of so many people there in Mexico with the love and the compassion of the Lord Jesus, and it truly has touched our lives also. This partnership, this relationship has been an incredible mutual ministry um, with our serving and going and loving and giving there, but also it's been a partnership in which we have received much from Saul and Pilar and the beautiful people in Mexico as they have received us with open arms and as Saul and Pilar have taught us by their own lives and their own examples, but also from the Word of God. I can truly say that Orangewood would not be the same church that it is today without the ministry of Saul and Pilar in our lives. Saul, I'm going to ask if you would come forward. We welcome you and Pilar. You're going to make me cry. (laughs) Um, For the past 25 years or so, we have had an annual trip to Mexico um, around the Labor Day weekend. And that trip this year is going to be a little bit different. Um, It has three options to it. So would you explain those to us? Yeah, there is a fantastic innovation for this year. Uh, The first, uh, I mean, please feel invited to the whole thing. But there are options this time. In the first part of the trip, you can come and learn how to see and how to feel. We're going to open the Bible and we're going to reflect what it means to learn to see with the eyes of Christ. And we are also to, to wonder and together with the Bible on what it means to learn to feel, you see, as a Christian. And then uh, the second part of the, of the trip is for you to go and get your hands dirty, get your hands into action. And, and practice uh, works of love. And, of course, you're invited to either part or the whole thing. Okay. So see and serve, um, two different parts of it, a third part that you can stay for all of it. We'd love to have many of you go. If you'd like to know more afterwards, you can talk to Saul or Pilar, or also there's a station in the foyer in which you can learn much, and then you can sign up um, on the commitment card, and we will be in touch with you about that. So we're glad to have you here with us. Um, We always appreciate it when you open God's Word, and we're looking forward to what God has for us this morning. May God bless you. Thank you, Joe. Well, let's work together. And I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles at uh, Matthew uh, 25. We're going to read uh, the verses that go from verse 31 to the end of the chapter. And let me say uh, to you that this is not an easy passage. Uh, We need to think carefully about it. And, um, And I was faced with this passage when I was uh, 17 and actually really rescued my Christian life because I was ready to abandon uh, church. I was uh, getting bored. You see, I was uh, very active and, uh, and uh, full of desire for adventures kid. And at 17, I was finding the church just very repetitious. And, um, and also very religious. And I was not happy 
with it. So I remember that I went to, to a camp when I was 17, and for um, uh, time 2,742 or 43, I guess, they were going to speak on the same-sex matter, and um, uh, based on trying to put guilt on us again. And, and I was really bored of, of it and, and wanted to leave the place. So I went, packed my things, uh, put them in my back uh, sack, and tried to sneak out of the camp. And as I was doing it, uh, one of the leaders was at the gate of the camp and says, uh, are you taking a walk? And I said, yes, for good. <laughs> and, uh, and he said, um, how come? And I said, I'm absolutely bored with this, what you call Christianity, and your idea on how we, the youngsters, should live. And uh, I don't understand why don't we study more Jesus, and why don't, one, why don't we try to imitate him, and why don't I don't see Jesus in the streets of my, of my city. Uh, it's, it's just, we're just inside of a building, inside of the camps, and always talking about our sanctity, and is that all? And he said, well, please don't get like that. And you need to understand that these kind of themes attract most of the younger youngsters. And that's why we repeat the, the themes. But uh, that's not all Christianity. And I said, no, I'm leaving. I'm sorry. Bye-bye. And as I am leaving, he says, but if you go, I won't let you read this book from John Stott. Oh, and he had me in the hook. Because I became a Christian reading basic Christianity from John Stott. And then I had, you see, the blessing of meeting this uh, amazing man when I was 14. So he was my hero. He was my hero. And everything I could get my hands on that he had written, I tried to read it. Of course, it was difficult for me because he wrote in English. You see, only basic Christianity had been in Spanish, but all the rest of his books had not been translated yet. And many never went and were translated. Anyway, he had this little book in his hands, and I said, please let me read it. And he says, no, unless you go and sit in the back of the room and pretend that you are putting attention, okay? That you're participating. Well... Corruption exists, and I accept it. <laughs> yeah. And I said, okay, I'll do it. And, and I went and, and took, my, took the book. He also has, had a dictionary, which was very, very um, appropriate to have. And I don't know how, but I went through the book. And I read it. And it really, really changed my life. And uh, helped me to understand, faced me with this uh, passage, and faced me with other passages that made me think in a very different way about the works of love that I was needing to get involved with. It gave me also a strategy for life, a way of thinking, a way of seeing things, a way of getting involved with things. And then I stopped asking my church to get involved. I decided that I would get involved, and I was sure that others would get along uh, in doing works of love for the glory of Jesus. And, um, and that's what happened. 
my wife, uh, very soon I met her, and, uh, and she got very excited about this idea of serving the Lord, and so on. But let me take you through the passage, and you'll see how interesting and important it is that we understand it. Um, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. Wow, we're speaking of the last judgment. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people, one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and fed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer. Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did not, uh, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Let's pray. And we ask you, Lord, now that you bless us, that your Holy Spirit will teach us and give us the courage to put your word into action, that your Holy Spirit will lead us into obedience. We ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, how should we understand Jesus' warnings of judgment? I think it's only possible if we check the context. If we read this passage in the context of Jesus' example, Jesus' teachings, and also in the context of the emphasis of the writers of the New Testament. If we don't do that, this is going to be very difficult to understand. Why? Because this is not a parable. The only parable part of this passage is when Jesus uses the metaphor of the sheep and the goat to describe how the king will separate the sheep from the goats. See? One type of people from the other type of people. But the rest is a solemn account of the last judgment. And there are people who have tried to escape from this passage by saying that this passage is only speaking 
of how God is going to judge the, uh, those who didn't treat well or treated bad the nation of Israel. And, uh, and that this is basically speaking of a national problem and not really a universal and individual problem. But I don't think so. I think that we need to pay careful attention to it and try to understand this in their context. And it's a difficult passage as well because it gets us perplexed. It perplexes us, for instance, to see that Jesus won't return as the Savior that we are used to see, the tender and sweet Savior that is willing to put his own life into the cross so that we can be saved. And not even deserving it. But he's going to return as the king. He's going to return as the judge. He's going to return as the son of man in his glory. And all the angels with him and all the nations will be assembled in front of him. Jesus never went out of his nation. He didn't travel as much as I have done in my own life. You see, as most of us have traveled. He traveled very little, but now he's going to come back as the judge of all the world, of all nations. And every nation will be right there in front of him, and they will be judged by him. We will be judged by him. So it's a very, very different picture. It uh, perplexes uh, also because the basis of his separating judgment will be, or not only would be, but what will be, the presence or absence of good works of love to the needy. That's very perplexing. Because we say, eh, 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 what about all the verses I learned all my life? And what about the songs? And I attended this many uh, thousands of times to church. And I gave this much. And he is going to care for what? for the good works of love for the needy. That's very strange, isn't it? Because we would like for him to be more, uh, I, I don't know, how you, would you say it in English, integrated, uh, more wholesome, including everything, giving us some percentage for attending church, giving us some percentage of salvation for being good offers, being for knowing the songs, for being part of the choir, for being, um, I mean, for playing in, uh, in the band, for reciting all the verses, for being on time, and so on. But no, he only has one criteria, and that is the presence or absence of good works of love to the needy. Wow. And also, it perplexes me because he identifies himself with those needy people. He calls them uh, his brethren. He says that whatever we did for them, we did it for him. And whatever we didn't do it for them, we didn't do it for him. So it's total identification with them. So... It's a very important um, passage. But uh, at the same time, it takes us to a very, very big and important question. 
the matter of justification. What is justification? Basically, our justification is our acceptance with God. See, how does God accept us? So, we believe that we are justified, that is, that we are accepted by God, by faith alone. Isn't it? That's what we believe. And not by works. And is then this passage not inconsistent with that teaching? Is not this passage apparently in, in, in clash with that kind of teaching? Well, this is not works. Let's try to understand it. And the only way to understand it, I, um, I would say, is to go and examine Jesus' example, Jesus' teaching, the emphasis of the writers of the New Testament as the arguments for consistency. And I would say it is consistent with what we believe. Justification is by faith and only by faith. But we need to understand then where this remains, where this stands. Okay, let's try to do it. First example. Let's, let's, let's consider Jesus' example. So we can, we can start with a very simple question that I love to ask to youngsters when we are, to, when we are together. I mean, as youngsters. And um, when, when we are together, I ask uh, youngsters, what would Jesus do in a normal day? And people start, I mean, most, most youngsters start oh, wondering, what would he do? Play ball. He didn't have a girlfriend that we know, so how would he use his time? Praying all the time? Reading the Bible all the time? Being in the synagogue all the time? I don't know. Where would he be? The Bible describes him as, as him doing good works. All the time. And, uh, and you wonder, how is that? If we go to Matthew 9.35, which is actually my favorite passage of all, um, we find a very interesting uh, account on, uh, and summary on what would Jesus do normally. And it says like this. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, etc. Please notice with the verbs that are used in this passage. Jesus went through all the towns and villages. So he was walking. And actually, when we observe Jesus' behavior, we will notice that he was walking in circular and expanding patterns. And uh, in, uh, first, I mean, starting in Galilee. And from the town where he was living, he started to visit the towns around, and then the others, and then the others. And that's how he comes all the way to Jerusalem. And he went to, through all the towns and villages and hamlets of his uh, land, and 
he would do three things in, their, uh, in, their, in those places. He would preach. The, the, he would preach the, the good news of the kingdom of God. He would teach in their synagogues. And he would heal every disease and infirmity. And by doing that, he tells us a lot. And, and you know, this passage is first mentioned in Matthew 4. So when you have a little time, and if you like a good sandwich, study from Matthew 4 to Matthew 9, okay? That's a great sandwich. Because it starts with Jesus going through towns and villages in Galilee, doing exactly the same, preaching, teaching, and healing. And it ends uh, just before uh, the chapter 10 starts, saying exactly the same that Jesus was going through all towns and villages, preaching, teaching, and healing. And in between, there is a lot of meat. Okay, so if you like uh, good, uh, you're carnivorous like me, yeah, go and have that sandwich. And if not, imagine you're vegetarian and this is vegetarian, okay? Um, But do it. What is is this saying? That Jesus would care for the whole person. He was teaching, addressing people's minds. He was preaching. He was uh, addressing people's spiritual lives. And he was healing, addressing physical needs. He cared for the whole person. And he was doing it in their synagogues, and he was doing it uh, in, in their own towns. So, in their own social context, in their own social institutions, Jesus was bringing the good news. And as you keep reading, you will realize that for Jesus, there was no separation between his works and his words. What he would do and what he would say were the same thing. It was the gospel, all his actions, and he wouldn't be unbalanced. He had a, a very well-balanced ministry. And you wouldn't see him preaching more or teaching more or healing more, but always struggling. And that was difficult to keep all his available time in balance to work with people. And in his example, he's basically um, loving people. How do we know that? This is what fascinated me from that little book. Stott said, as you go and read the Gospels, try to find uh, uh, those passages where Jesus shows compassion. Or try to see the passages where Jesus sees human pain, human suffering, and you'll see what happens. What I noticed is that by reading this, this passage, I first uh, realized that Jesus saw And then he felt, and then he acted. And every time, over and over, this pattern of behavior repeated. He would see, he would feel, and then he would act. Over and over. His eyes, his heart, and his hands would get involved all the time. And they would get involved in acts of love for the people he was caring for. Where they may, even if they were multitudes, he would do the same. So we need to learn that. We need to, to observe the example of, of Jesus and take it into to account. To, to rely, realizing that he is a very compassionate 
a very, very compassionate God that is walking through, uh, uh, through the towns and villages because the kind of religion that they used to have in those times made them think that, Jesus, that God was located over there in a temple, over there in a city, over there in control by the priests and, 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 um, and the scribes. This was a very different God who was walking through the towns and villages, addressing people's needs as they were meeting him. Now, that takes us to the teaching of Jesus. It's not enough with seeing his example. What did he say? What did he teach? Well, we see that uh, the best place to find his teaching about doing good things for others, loving others, is uh, the Sermon on the Mount. So, again, inside of that uh, passage from Matthew 4 to Matthew 9, there's the Sermon on the Mount. So that's why I say that's fantastic meat uh, for your soul and for your mind. So go there. And uh, let me just give you an example. The famous passage of Matt, uh, the fam- famous verse of Matthew 5, 16. Okay? What, what does that say? Well, he's, he's saying to his disciples that they are the light of the world. And that you don't hide a light. Like a city that was uh, uh, built on a, on a hill cannot be hidden. The same way a light cannot be hidden or shouldn't be hidden. You don't, you don't turn on a lamp to hit it under your bed. But you put it on the higher place so that it will give light. It will illuminate to everyone. And then it says to them, in the same way, verse 16, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So he's basically implicating that when we do good deeds, when we do acts of love for those who are in need, it is God who has provoked them. It is God who, ha- who is reflecting his own light through us. And people will praise God for that. Just imagine that somebody praises God because you are his or her neighbor. Because you are in the same board of the school. Because you are a colleague at work. Because you are a friend in the gym. Uh, just imagine that somebody will praise God for your life. No, and not even knowing God. They will say, actually, Thank you, God, for giving me this person next to me. And so he's saying that. And he's teaching that. But also, we, we need uh, to, to remember that he said that we should love the brethren. We should love our neighbor as we love ourselves. But also taught that we should love our enemies. And by doing that, he was going beyond absolutely beyond the teaching of the Pharisees, the teaching of the Sadducees, the teaching of his times. He was going absolutely beyond because he was, he was being very, very radical, telling people that they could even do good to their enemies. And, um, and, and you can remember when he was asked, and what is the first commandment, commandment and most important commandment? And he said to love uh, the Lord of God, or God, with all our being. And then he said, 
And the second is very similar. To love our neighbor as we love ourselves. So see, in his teaching, Jesus is very consistent with this need of works of love. And, and then that takes us to the emphasis of the writers of the New Testament. What was it? What, uh, what is saying? The, what is the problem? Let me go to the beginning. Our main question was, if our justification is by faith and faith alone, you see, what do we do with this passage that put the emphasis in what we did with the needy? Well, let me tell you that the emphasis of the New Testament writers was or is that of, um, or basically says that if our faith is a true, living, saving faith, it will inevitably produce good works. So if you have a real, living, saving faith, you will be sprouting good works. You will be, uh, you will be like a fountain. The good works will be jumping out of you. You will be immersed out of it. It will be like breathing. You see, we breathe because we respond to the pressure uh, on the air and the air goes into our lungs and then we have to breathe out. And it will be like that. Very, very natural. And why it doesn't happen? Well, sometimes, uh, maybe, because we don't understand that if our faith is not linked or doesn't go hand in hand with compassion, is dead. What does uh, James 2.18 say? Let me read it for you. Um, let me read um, James um, 18. And it says, But someone will say, You have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith, by, my faith by what I do. That means I, by my works, will show you my faith. That's very clear, isn't it? Or Galatians, chapter 5, verse 6, when it, where it says, The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Let me read it that again for you. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So what all this means? That actually, let me see if I can say it, it, it uh, well. It means that although our justification is by faith and by faith only, our judgment will be on the basis of our good works of love because our good works of love express our faith. You see what I mean? Although our justification is by faith and by faith alone, our judgment will be on the basis of our good works of love as they express our faith. How can we see if our child is actually, has actually a living, 
true and saving faith. How can we know that? How can we be aware of what is happening in somebody else's life? By his acts, by her acts, by his or her involvement, involvement in acts of love. That's how we know that we belong uh, to him because we now are learning to love as he loved us first. So that's what makes it evident. But in order to learn that, we need to seize the opportunities to do good. Please seize the opportunities to learn to do good. Don't be satisfied with attending church or taking your family to church or or, 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 or participating in every activity of, uh, of the church, do practice love. Get involved in the practice of love. I must say, nevertheless, that I must congratulate this church because this church is actually involved in many acts of love. There is Restore Orlando, there is Armonia, there is uh, uh, the Casa Hogar in Acapulco. There are many other ministries. There are new things that are being opened in Israel, in Greece, in other places. Wonderful. Praise God for this church that is involved in that. But let's do not just... Uh, uh, we, we have a saying in Mexico, don't, don't sleep on our faith. Okay. Let's do not uh, do just sleep on our fame, thinking that because we did it, it's done. Because there are newer and newer generations coming through this church. Because there are many people who have never heard of the Lord and heard here for the first time. And they need to catch the same vision that this church is learning to express love over and over and over. And if... Uh, Years have passed and you have not learned to express love as a natural thing of your life, as breathing would be for life, for normal life. Learn. Do it. Get involved. Get informed. Visit the ministry. Go to, the, to a mission trip. Get with others who are praying. Try to learn. In order to learn well, you will have to understand what is a Christian perspective on poverty. If you're interested, that's one of the things that we are going to discuss in the next mission trip. Okay? What is it? What is poverty? Okay, come. We'll teach you. We'll together study the Bible and we'll try to understand what it is. And remember, turning a blind eye on the least of these brings course. When did we see you? We all need to learn to see. We all need to learn to feel. We all need to learn to act in behalf of Jesus. So, being responsible implies that you and me seek to make our actions and help in behalf of the least of this significant, fruitful, constant, not just to peace our mind, our minds, but really to, to adopt a Christian stance in life, a way of living, a lifestyle that will show that we belong to God. I want to 
to, to finish saying, don't forget that the missions, the, the, the missionary work that Orangewood does needs your support. Support them strongly. It's very, very important. Don't forget to pray for them, to pray for Joe, for his family, for the work that he is leading, but actually because it belongs to all of you. And it's, it, these are the windows through which you and your children and the children of your children will learn how to love. May the Lord bless us all. Amen. Let's pray. Our dear Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your word. And we thank you for giving us Jesus' example, Jesus' teaching, teaching of the writers of the New Testament, so that we can understand that expressing love is very natural, should be very natural, when there is a true real, saving, healthy faith in us. Help us to express our faith and to show our faith by our works. Help us to welcome you to the last judgment, to be with you forever. We thank you for Jesus, for his salvation, for his grace. In his name we pray. Amen.